0: Hey, this is Stephen, and I want to welcome you or welcome you back to the Grove Church Podcast. For more information or to find more resources like this one, be sure to visit us at grove.org. Thanks for listening, and I hope the following message is encouraging and meaningful to your life. Hi, friends, and good morning. Welcome to Church Online here at the Grove. My name is Stephen, and I'm one of the pastors here, and we are so glad that you are watching with us. Wherever you are, we're glad that you are participating, even if it's in your pajamas, even if it's surrounded by pancakes or donuts or whatever kind of smorgasbord breakfast feast you've got in front of you. Personally, I'm jealous because it's just me here in an empty room with no food, but you have it far better than I do. And so I hope that you are ready for us to talk about some important things this morning. We're gonna be talking about probably my favorite story in all of the Bible. But first, I want to talk about kind of what's been happening the last couple of weeks. Uh, I don't need to remind you about COVID 19 and the coronavirus that we're all dealing with and we're all sheltering in place because of. But if you're like me, uh, the rest of your life didn't get the hint or didn't get the notice that life had changed. And so if you're like me, you're still having to pay bills and and go to work and do all of the normal things that life requires, Uh, but now it's Far more difficult and far more inconvenient because of all of the other stuff that we're having to deal with with COVID 19. And I've heard a lot of different metaphors being used about kind of life in this new reality right now. And I think the most common one that I hear is this metaphor, this analogy that, you know, we're just on this roller coaster ride, that life has just been a roller coaster ride lately. Anybody I talk to, I forget and I ask the question, how are you? And inevitably it prompts some type of woe is me response. It's just, oh, I mean, life is just so chaotic right now. It's just really been a roller coaster ride. And I'm, I'm not saying that to diminish or belittle kind of everybody's experience because I know that there are a lot of hard things happening in the world right now. But I think the roller coaster metaphor is an incorrect metaphor because I think it assumes a level of passivity and a level of um, lack of control that we just think we have in this life. There are things that we can't control. But today, what I want to talk to you about and the thing that I think we have to remember as people of faith is there is more control that we have. There's more opportunity that we have uh, than just going along with the ride, going along with the events that are happening in our lives and just kind of throwing our hands up in the air saying, well, we can't do anything about it. That's incorrect there are things that we can do. There are steps, there are actions, there are measures that we can put in place to bolster our own faith. And really our faith is the thing uh, that helps us navigate this life. It's the way that we interact with this life. And so there are kind of two choices we have when it comes to our faith that we're going to talk about this morning. And one kind of lends itself to this roller coaster ride, but the other one, it's more A better analogy would actually kind of be one of my favorite things to do when I'm on vacation, and that's whitewater rafting. I love to go to Colorado. I love to spend time up in the mountains, particularly in the summer. I love it both seasons, but the summer is particularly great. And my family, my brother, dad, and I, we love to go whitewater rafting. And now it's not just any whitewater rafting, but the bigger, the scarier, the more intense, the better. Anything that you see that makes you a little nervous, that you get a little frayed as you're paddling up to it, that's what we like. So class threes, class four, class five rapids, that's, that's our starting place. We want to be scared. We want the potential of being uh, thrown out of the raft or the raft flipping. That's like our starting baseline. Now, because we like to do this and we've done it quite a bit over the last decade or so, I've learned a little bit and kind of paid attention to kind of how you have to operate the raft, how you have to conduct yourself when you're in the middle of the rapids. And I think the rapids are a far better analogy for what we're dealing with in our current situation than just a roller coaster, than a fixed track where we have no impact, where we have no influence on what's happening around us. Now, in the rapids, you're natural default your natural inclination when you come to a section that's particularly violent and particularly dangerous ones that fills you with fear is your inclination is to shrink back your inclination is to kind of withdraw to take your paddle out of the water now when you whitewater raft you kind of hang off the edge of your seat your inclination when you start to see the rapids when things start to speed up and get a little bit turbulent Your inclination is to slide towards the center of the raft, the center further away from the water, distancing yourself from the things that might be dangerous, from the things that might be harmful. But that's the wrong approach. And it's the wrong approach because when you remove yourself from the situation, when you shrink back, when you slide off the edge, when you take your oar out of the water, you now have lost the ability to impact and influence how you were able to navigate the rapids that you find yourself in. And I think that's a far more apt analogy for our life of faith, particularly in times that feel like the rapids. Maybe some of you, the water's a little calm, but you anticipate that rapids are coming up ahead. You know that down the road, further upstream or downstream, As the water's coming, you can see things are about to get turbulent. So maybe you're looking at your situation, maybe your financial situation, maybe your job situation, maybe your family situation, and you're in the middle of smooth waters right now. But you can see, you've got the foresight. You know that there is white water up ahead. There is trouble coming down the way. And so maybe for you, this is an appropriate kind of message for you so that you can be prepared. Some of you, you were like finding yourself in the photo that I showed a second ago. You're just nose down, you are in the throes of the rapids and water is splashing and it is chaos all around you. Maybe it's related to COVID-19. Maybe you have loved ones who are sick. Maybe you are feeling the financial implications of the economic downturn that we're in the middle of. Maybe you're in the financial sector and you're just watching the stock market go up and down and down and down and then up and back down. And you're just holding on for dear life. Or maybe for you, you are now a homeschool teacher and you never thought that that would be something that you would put on your kind of resume. You never planned to be a homeschool teacher. You loved your life outside. You loved sending your kids to school and having a break from them. And now you get to spend all of this time with them in your home, maybe plus your spouse. And so for some of you, you're in the middle of the rapids right now. So what do we do? We have two choices, really. The first is to shrink back to take our oars out of the water, to slide off the edge of the raft, and just to have the water impact us, be impacted upon by the rapids that we find ourselves in. That's one approach, but I don't think that's the most faithful approach. The other approach is we slide to the edge, we stick our paddles in the water, and we begin to row. Now, that's what, That's the way that experienced whitewater guides tell you to navigate the rapids. You have to dig in and they'll give you commands like forward two and then everybody digs in forward two or backwards two and everyone's backwards two. And they give you commands and you act upon the rapids that you find yourself in. You influence your raft as it's navigating the water. And I think that the same is true for our faith. We have two options when it comes to the way that we live our faith out in the world, particularly in the midst of the rapids. And so that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. I want to give you some tips, some guidance on how you can do that. And to do so, I want to walk you through, like I said before, my favorite story, perhaps in all of scripture. Now, the reason it's my favorite story and perhaps of all of scripture is because it has moments of high drama, There are some climactic scenes, and there are some great lines. I love dialogue, particularly great dialogue in famous movies. You know that one line that just the entire movie is built upon, and it's just the moment that you hear it, you're like, oh, this is the best movie. This story has one of those lines. And in that line, I think is the key to us as people of faith, uh, how we navigate the rapids in our lives. So the story that we're going to look at today occurs in a similar time period as the time period we talked about last Sunday. So if you need to catch up from last Sunday, go ahead, push pause, watch the sermon from last week. I'll wait for you. All right, now that you've caught up, here's what we talked about last week. There was this period of time in the life of the people of Israel called the Babylonian exile. That's when this Babylonian empire came Destroyed all of Jerusalem and then took the best and the brightest into Babylon where they were then captives and had to serve the kings of Babylon. This was a horrible time period for the people of Israel because they understood that the way that God was in relationship with them to be highly connected to their location in Jerusalem. God lived in the temple and the temple was in the middle of Jerusalem and if they had their temple destroyed and Jerusalem was destroyed and they were no longer in the promised land that God gave them, how could they have a relationship with their God? Where was their God, was their God even present in the midst of all of this exile in a foreign land? So today, the story that we're looking at occurs as people from Israel, as these Hebrew people, were trying to understand how to live, how to navigate life in a foreign land. And so for some of them, it felt unstable, uncertain, uh, painful and hard. They longed for the way that life used to be, but their current life didn't wait for them. Just like COVID-19 and the rest of our life, they're not waiting on each other. We're having to navigate these waters in the midst of COVID-19, but the rest of our life isn't stopping for it. The same is true for the people of Israel in the middle of the Babylonian exile. They have to go about their daily lives in the middle of a foreign land, far from home and far um, away from the connection that they felt with their God. Now, the characters of this story, the heroes, the protagonists of this story are three men named Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Let's all say these names together. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Yep. If you're pregnant, looking for baby names, three great options for you. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Now these were Hebrew people. These were Israelites who were in captivity in Babylon, but these were smart, educated guys. And because they were smart and educated guys, they began to work their way up through the ranks of the Babylonian people. And so people started to recognize the people in command, the people in high places begin to see how talented and smart and capable these three men were. And so they kept getting promotions, kept getting promotions. Well, you can imagine that if you were a Babylonian watching these Hebrew people You know, receive promotions ahead of you instead of you, you would begin to get a little resentful, you would probably get bitter, and you might devise ways to get them back or to make them pay for the the success that they were experiencing. And this is what happens. You see, the king of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, he decides that he is going to build a statue of himself. This is a guy with a lot of humility decides to build a 90 foot gold statue of himself. It is 90 feet tall and nine feet wide. So you can imagine this huge statue of King Nebuchadnezzar is erected. And then, because he is so humble, no ego on this guy, he decides to issue a decree that the moment that the trumpets and the horns and the harps and all of the instruments play a loud sound and this like particular song, Everybody in Babylon is supposed to stop and kneel down and worship this statue of King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, for the people in Babylon, not a problem. Just how life goes. But for the Israelites who find themselves in a foreign land, this is a big problem. Because the very first command in all of their commandments is they should only have one God. And that's the Lord. So they're not allowed to kneel down and bow down and worship any statue, particularly one who's not of their God. So this creates a problem. Now, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are good Israelites. They're good Jews. They don't bow down when the song comes on. When the particular anthem turns up, everybody bows down except for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Well, their fellow Babylonians, the ones who are jealous of the success that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that they're experiencing, they see this as an opportunity to get even with them, to bring harm upon them. And so they run to the king, this big group of tattletellers, and they say, oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, you need to know that these advisors that you've risen up through the ranks, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these Israelites, they don't bow down when when the song comes on. They don't follow your instructions. They're willfully disobeying your orders. Now you can imagine if you're the king and you're the particular type of king that's willing to have a 90-foot statue of themselves created and then you pick a song to play so that everybody has to worship it and then people don't worship it, you can imagine how outraged, how angry, how mad King Nebuchadnezzar is at these three guys. So the king sends for them. He says, bring them to me. I'm going to interrogate them. I'm going to ask them if they're bowing down. And if not, why not? And then I'm going to make them bow down to my statue. And so this is the part of the story that we're going to jump into. So here's the conversation, more likely the interrogation between King Nebuchadnezzar and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, here's what Nebuchadnezzar said to them. He's asking them, you can imagine, you know, the lights in their face, they're chained to the desk. They're in that interrogation room that you see in FBI and cop shows. You know, they're sitting there and pointing the light at him. He's like, is it true that you don't serve my gods or worship the, God statu- the gold statue that I've set up? Are you disobeying me? Do you bow down and worship the gold statue I've made? And they're like, uh, should we tell him?" And see Nebuchadnezzar goes on and he says, if you're not going to worship it, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be thrown straight into a furnace, a flaming fire. Maybe your translation of scripture calls it a fiery furnace. If you remember that story from maybe a kid's storybook Bible, you're going to be thrown into a fiery furnace. And then what God will rescue you from my power. So Nebuchadnezzar drags these guys in front of him and he says, are you worshiping? Because if you're not worshiping, you're going to worship. And if you don't worship, then I'm going to throw you in a fiery furnace. And then he kind of scoffs and he belittles them, knowing that they have a different God than, than uh, the Babylonians. And he says, and then, because of my great power, because of my ability to throw you in the fiery furnace if you don't bow down, then, go ahead, pray tell, tell me what God is going to rescue you. And this is is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's response. So they've just been dragged in front of the king. The king's belittling them, threatening them. And this is what they say. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered King Nebuchadnezzar. Imagine this. The most powerful man in the country that they're in, that they're prisoner and slaves in. Your threat means nothing to us. If you throw us in the fire... The God we serve can and will rescue us from your roaring furnace, O king. So the king and all of his power, the guy that destroyed their homeland, destroyed their temple, brought them and all of their people into a new land as slaves, brings them before him. And he says, are you gonna bow down to my statue? Are you going to give in and worship me? If not, I'm going to kill you and throw you into a fiery furnace. And they say, King, your threats mean nothing to us. And the reason your threats mean nothing to us is because the God we serve can and will rescue us. But that's not where they stop. And this is perhaps my favorite line, at least in this story, but maybe in all of scripture. We're not going to bow down. Our God can and will rescue us. But even if he doesn't, our God can and will rescue us. But even if he doesn't, know this for certain, we will never serve your gods and we will never worship the golden statue you set up. So take that. That's kind of what they're doing. Can you imagine this moment if this was a story? These men in chains kneeling before King Nebuchadnezzar, the whole court surrounded around, spears pointed at their throat and the king's like, are you going to serve and bow down and worship my statues and our gods? And they say, never. Our God's gonna save us. And even if he doesn't, we're still not gonna worship your gods and we're not gonna bow down To your statue that phrase even if it is such a powerful phrase for our faith it should be the defining characteristic of our faith particularly in times of crisis particularly in times of fear uncertainty particularly in the midst of the roaring rapids when everything in your life feels upside down and uncontrollable what if we as a people could have even if faith. Saying, we know that our God can get us out of this. We know that our God can protect us. We're going to trust and believe in our God. And even if he doesn't do the things that we know we can, even if he doesn't save us, help us, keep us out of debt, even if he doesn't ensure that we have a job throughout this uncertain time, even if he doesn't, we're not going to stop trusting we're not going to lose our faith. You see, the alternative to an even-if faith, an even-if faith that acknowledges the hard truth, the brutal facts, the reality of the current situation. You see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they knew that the fiery furnace was hot. They knew what would happen if they would be thrown in. They also trusted that their God could deliver them they didn't ignore, it's not this Pollyanna faith, like everything's gonna be fine. No, it is a faith that wrestles with and grapples with the hard truths of the life that we find ourselves in, the life that they found themselves in. But it said, even if God doesn't, we're gonna still believe, we're gonna press on, we're gonna carry on. Now, the alternative to an even if faith is an only if faith. And only if faith is contingent on certain circumstances being met. And only if faith is dependent upon things going the way that you want them to go. And only if faith is only blue skies and calm seas. And only if faith shrinks from the rapids. It slides to the center of the raft. It takes the oar out of the water because it is not capable of handling adversity. It's not capable of dealing with the hard truths and the hard facts of this life. And only if faith assumes that we'll never have any problems, that life will always be great, that people we love won't die, that things that are painful won't happen to us, that we won't lose our job, that the economy always stays great, that nobody we love and care about will get sick. That's an only if faith because it's not capable of handling the rapids and the challenges that this life brings so my friends today, which one are we gonna choose? An only if faith or an even if faith? You see, an only if faith, it, it's controlling. An only if faith requires us to have control over our circumstances. It says, dear God, I want X or Y or Z to happen. It assumes that we know best what should happen in the world. It needs us to be able to control all of the variables in our lives. And only if faith is only able to stay intact if life goes the way we have planned life to go. Let me say that again. And only if faith is only capable of staying intact if life goes according to our narrative and to our script. It needs to control everything. It places ourselves in the position of God because we know best. We know more. Things need to happen this way. It couldn't possibly be any better than the way that we've drawn this up, than the plans that we have made for ourselves. It trusts in our own wisdom, our own foresight and our own abilities. The other thing that an only if faith does is it's fragile because when things don't go according to plan and come on, We all know none of this was according to any of our plans. The place we find ourselves in is not according to plan. And so what happens to the people with only if faith? At some point, their only if is gonna wear thin. They're gonna crack. The facade will break, the structures will crumble and they'll be wondering, God, are you even there? The only if faith people are the people that I worry most about when hard things happen in life because they're not capable of withstanding the storms. They're not capable of navigating the difficult waters because their only if faith assumes that God is only believable, that we can only trust and put our faith in God only if things go our way. And that way is always a good way. That way is always a positive way. That way is always a trouble and pain free way. So that's the second characteristic of an only if faith. And the last, an only if faith is fearful. It's fearful of the unknown. It's fearful in times of uncertainty because it starts to recognize that things may not be according to plan. And it starts to shake the foundation of the only if faith people. And as they start to feel the the turbulence of their structure of faith being shaken and challenged because things aren't going the way that they want them to, they begin to become afraid because they don't know how to trust God when things don't go according to plan. But we don't have to have an only if faith. We can have an even if faith. And an even-if faith is the thing that will see us through these hard times. Because an even-if faith, it's trusting. It recognizes that we are not God and we are not in control. It accepts that things will happen beyond our ability to control. It recognizes that God is in control. That even though we wouldn't choose these circumstances for ourselves, ultimately good will come from this. God will will see us through to the other side of this, even when it doesn't make sense. Even when we can't wrap our brains around why these things will be happening to us. Even in the midst of the challenges that we face with COVID-19 and we have job losses and we have financial downturns, as the things stack up and pile on, it's able to maintain it's able to persist because we don't have to be able to navigate it all on our own. We have a guide in the back of the raft telling us, paddle two forward, one back. We're gonna get through this guys, right one, left two. Who's there guiding us, with us, helping us navigate these rapids as they come. It's trusting that we don't have to do it all by ourselves. The second thing that an even if faith is, is it's resilient. It's the opposite of an only if faith in that way. It recognizes that just because we're not in control, we can still trust God and that means it doesn't matter if things go bad. We're gonna be okay. God's bigger than any problem that we'll face in this life. Our kids may be driving us crazy. This might be a strain on our marriage because we're in the same house hour after hour, day after day. It might be difficult because the job that we thought was gonna pay us for the rest of our lives has just suddenly laid us off. It means that the 401k that we had been building and saving for decades has just been cut in half because of the financial downturn. And it says, it's okay. The facts may not be in our favor, but we know our God is. And we're gonna be able to navigate these storms and navigate, navigate these rough waters because it's not up to us. We don't have to be in control. We can trust God and we can be resilient. And the last thing that an even if faith is, is an even if faith is courageous, it acknowledges the trouble, but it scoots to the edge of the raft, it leans out, it puts the paddle in the water and it digs in harder. It says, I will not live my life in fear. I will not cower, I will not shrink to the inside of the boat, I will not give up, I will not bury my head in the sand. Things are hard, life is challenging right now but I can be courageous because I know the one who is with me through all of these circumstances, the one who is watching and guiding and helping me. It may not all be going the way that I want, but that doesn't mean I'm going to stop. It doesn't mean that I'm going to give up. And so it says in the midst of all of this COVID-19 crisis, I'm going to look for how I can help others. I'm going to step outside of my comfort zone and figure out ways that I can be sacrificial when fear and the lies of the devil tell us that we need to save and hoard everything for ourselves because life is dangerous right now. And even if faith says, that may be true, but I'm gonna be bold. I'm gonna increase my generosity. I'm gonna give more to the church. I'm gonna give more to people in need. I'm gonna find ways to step outside of myself and help others even at cost to myself because I have an even if faith. Even if things bad happen to me, even if the stock market goes the wrong way in my 401k, I'm still going to be generous. I'm still going to care. I'm still going to be sacrificial. I'm still going to live a life of faith. That's an even if faith, my friends. Now here's how the story ends. The story with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They say that what they said to King Nebuchadnezzar. They say, King, we're not going to bow down. Our God can save us. Our God will save us. And even if he doesn't, we won't worship you. And so King Nebuchadnezzar is enraged. He binds them up and he throws them in the furnace. And he said that before he threw them in the furnace, they turned the furnace up seven times hotter. And the furnace was so hot that the guards carrying Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the furnace died because of the heat impact coming from the furnace. So the guards who were carrying those three guys died as they were throwing them into the furnace. That's how hot it was. And then the most unbelievable thing happens as these men have been thrown into this furnace that's roaring and raging, that should have instantly killed them. The king looks in shock and disbelief and he says, I thought we only threw three men in there. And his advisors said, King, we did. And he says, I see a fourth one. I see a fourth in the fire. And this one looks like the son of God. My friends, in the midst of all of the rapids, in the midst of all of the uncertainty in our life, know that in the middle of your furnace, you are not alone. There is a God who is with you, one who is walking beside you, one who has never left you. Life may not look like the way that you want it to, The circumstances of your life may not be going in the direction that you hoped they would. It may feel like your prayers aren't being answered, but I promise you this, there is a fourth one in the fire with you and it looks like the son of God. Now immediately upon recognizing that there was a fourth one in the fire, King Nebuchadnezzar says, drag these guys out of there, bring them out. I want to see what's going on. And so his servants do. And here's what the scripture says about the three. It says, not a hair was singed, not a piece of clothing was burned and they didn't even smell like smoke. Now, if you've ever been around a campfire, you know that it takes at least 12 days for the smell of smoke to get off of your clothes. There was no hint of impact. There was no hint of setback. There were no indicators that they had been harmed in the middle of this fiery furnace. Friends, whatever you're going through right now, It may feel like you're being harmed. But let me tell you this, there's a fourth one in that furnace with you and he's gonna see you to the other side. And upon getting to the other side, people are gonna look at you and be like, how did you survive that? How did you overcome that? It doesn't look like you were even impacted negatively. But you'll know and I'll know it's because of your even if faith. It's because of your resilience to trust God to be courageous in the midst of the adversity that you're facing, that you were able to prevail and make it to the other side. Now, here's what happens when they drew those guys out of the fire. They recognized that they were unharmed and Nebuchadnezzar was forced to come face to face with the reality that there is only one God that could save. And that is the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Now friends, the good news today is the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego is your God. And he's my God. He's the God that is with us amid every storm. He is the God that is in the middle of our circumstances right now. Whether you are in the middle of calm waters, or you are in the middle of the greatest rapids you've ever found yourself in, there is a fourth in the furnace with you. And because of that, you can have even if faith you do not have to give up. You do not have to back down. You can step forward in boldness, trusting your God, knowing that you will be resilient throughout all of this. And it allows you to live a bold, courageous, faith-filled life saying, God, if you're with me, nobody can stop us. Friends, that would be my prayer for all of us this morning. As we begin to navigate these waters, whether they last another week, or another 12 weeks, or however long they may last. Maybe we let go of this week only if faith and cling on to the even if faith, that even if things don't go the way that we want, even if we face more adversity, even if we suffer, we can live lives that trust God, that are resilient and that are courageous. Let me pray for our time together this morning. Gracious and loving God, we love you. And we come before you acknowledging that you are God, that we are not, and that we place all of our trust in you. God, we know that it is scary. We know that we are fearful at times, but God help us also to trust you, to be resilient and courageous in the face of adversity, to know that even in the middle of our fiery furnaces, there is a fourth one with us and that's you. Because of that, we can have all of the courage and faith in the world, God even if things don't look like we want them to. God, we are grateful for your love for us, demonstrated through your son, who's always with us. We pray it in his name, amen. Now friends, we're gonna sing one last song together. This song may be new for you, but I hope that you'll join us. I hope that you'll sing out. It's about trusting God even in the middle of our troubles even in the middle of our adversities. Now, this is also the time in our service when we would typically and normally take up offering. And we can't do that in the same way that we used to do it, where we pass baskets around in the service. And so I hope that you will go to our webpage, grove.org and click on the give button. If you're a regular online giver, I wanna thank you. It is your generosity, it is your boldness in the face of difficult times that allows us to continue to help people. You need to know that your church just two days ago passed out over 400 meals to those who were in need in the DISD area. And we're gonna continue to do that. So we're gonna plan on giving out thousands of meals in the weeks that come, all because of your generosity, all because of your support. The world needs the church more than ever. Even if faith gives when all the indicators say save. Friends, have even if faith, Continue to support the church because it makes a difference in the lives of people in this community because we are the hope of the world. So for those who support the church, we thank you and we're grateful. Let's sing some songs together. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you live in the Dallas area, we would love for you to visit us. For directions, service times, and more info, visit us at grove.org.